Issues. It's a four-part series that will take us through November. We'll touch on four separate and diverse topics preeminent in the minds of people in general and, and most certainly the, the folks that make up Central Assembly. We begin with parenting. We had a marriage sermon a couple weeks ago. It was very well received. Uh, it, it's actually been viewed about 1,200 times on uh, our Facebook page at last check. And I, and I think that's, that's the case because it's relevant and applicable to our lives. It, it's our struggle too. It touches a felt need. It hits us where we live, so to speak. And so I guess a few thoughts on practical parenting are apropos as well. Real life, real issues. Parenting has its challenges, to be sure. Uh, parents today are raising children in a different world than they were raised in. The times they are a-changing, Bobby Dylan said. And that's for sure. The world is not as safe as it used to be. Uh, it's a world intimately connected by social media. We have more single-parent homes, more co-parenting situations, and more blended families than, than ever before. It's a tangled web we weave. Life is complicated by our own bad decisions and the folly of others. It makes parenting even more difficult than it is inherently. Children are the collateral damage of a lost society. We're perpetuating our own generational problems. And it's up to us to put forth the best of what we are and the best of what we have to offer as we attempt to shape the generations to come through parenting. We owe it to our children to rise up and become the parents God has called us to be. And we, the church, must step into the call of parenting. It's our highest call. It's our most noble task. Practical parenting. I, of course, feel eminently qualified to dole out advice on parenting. Before my children were born, before my children were born, I had all the answers to parenting. Then I had my first child in 1980, and I began a 27-year period where I knew absolutely nothing about parenting. Since my youngest turned 18 in 2007, I once again have all the answers. I am thankful for the real experts, uh, like John Ball, a licensed therapist who's teaching our parenting class. I keep pointing back there because the classroom's back there. Uh, he teaches during our Sunday school hour this quarter on parenting. And I'm also thankful for our MOPS group. MOPS stands for Mothers of Preschoolers who provide resources and support along the journey we call parenting. Parenting uh, is never easy. Parenting is a tough gig. Uh, we're, we're leaving an imprint as parents on these little lives that will soon grow into productive citizens 
or burdens on society. They will be light bearers or they will be agents of darkness. As they grow, we cannot make all of their choices for them. A day will soon come where they will be accountable for their own actions. But it's up to us. It's it's up to parents to lay the groundwork. It's up to us to put a foundation in place that gives every child a fighting chance to succeed in a tough world. So here are four Bible examples of good parenting that we can learn from today. Number one is Hannah. Hannah was the mother of Samuel the prophet. To me, she pictures the sacrifice of parenting. On the surface, it's easy to think of sacrifice in terms of the hard work, the financial commitment, the sleepless nights, and all the time spent raising children. But for many, and I'll say especially moms, the real sacrifice comes in letting go. Hannah's story of faith is among the most inspiring in all of Scripture. Hannah offers her son Samuel to God by dedicating him to the service of God in the temple. And while we may not be leaving our children at the temple at a young age, although I venture to say the thought may have crossed your mind, (laughs) what we can see and what we can admire in Hannah is a heart willing to surrender and sacrifice everything to God and a desire to seek God's will even above her own for her son Samuel. Her love for Samuel meant sacrifice. Hannah's love for Samuel meant that if she was really concerned with Samuel's well-being, she would have to let him go. It all began in the years of her barrenness. 1 Samuel 1, beginning in verse 10, says, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your handmaid and remember me and not forget me, but will give me a male child, I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. I think some of our desires for our children are selfish. We want them to be near to us. We want them to be successful according to the world's standards. We want all of our inadequacies and our insufficiencies to be compensated for by the success and acceptance of our children. My son's athletic prowess will compensate for my less-than-stellar athletic career. And perhaps my daughter's popularity will make up for my lonely high school years. However inadequate I may deem myself, at least my kid is exceptional. They're on the honor roll, they're in the choir, they're on the team, and I've got the bumper sticker to prove it. (laughs) And for those few fleeting years... That's where we find our identity. Hannah seemed different than all that. Hannah loved Samuel. She loved him enough 
to let him go. Hannah loved Samuel enough to release him into the will and into the way of God. It's evident as she speaks to Eli the priest soon after young Samuel was weaned. Verse 26 of 1 Samuel 1. Oh my Lord, as my soul lives, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent unto the Lord. And she left her small son at the temple with Eli the priest. I think you can, you can sum up parenting like this. It's giving roots to grow and wings to fly. Some of us are better at the roots part than we are at the wings part. There's an episode of, of Andy Griffith where little Opie finds a couple of orphan birds and he, and he raises them to maturity. And the episode is really about the realization that if Opie really loves the birds, he has to let them go. He gave them roots to grow and now he has to give them wings to fly not so different with our children. Hannah knew Samuel could only fulfill his calling by serving in the temple from a young age. From Hannah, we learn that parenting is about sacrifice. Joseph was the earthly father of Jesus, and he's our second example of parenting today. And in, and in him, I see humility. Imagine your spouse one day telling you that she's pregnant with a child and it's not yours. Last week, Pastor Matt preached and he talked about the fight or flight response and, and that's a situation that would bring out one or the other in most of us. Somehow Joseph responded with dignity and honor as he tried to sort out his next move. He, he trusted God would help him to make sense of it all, and, and eventually he did. From there, Joseph faithfully raised Jesus as if he were his own. As parents, things don't always make sense. Truer words have never been spoken. Every parent has had the moment where their face is contorted into a look of bewilderment, and the only words that can find their way to your lips are, what were you thinking? <laughs> My daughter, Gloria, when she was about 12 years old, she's, she's teaching in one of the classes back there, so I get a little pass here. But when she was about 12 years old, her and two of her friends, one of them is Bethany Hooray, who's in the house today, uh, formerly Bethany Sislo, uh, they were about 12 years old. They decided they wanted to paint Gloria's bedroom. And so I thought, being an empowering parent, I would let them paint Gloria's bedroom. I would turn them loose. And so I bought them the paint and got them the brushes, and, and, uh, and, I, and I left the premises. <laughs> Only to return to them painting in the bedroom with our wooden kitchen chairs in there to stand on. <laughs> totally covered with pink 
paint. <laughs> what are you thinking? Well, I'm sure it, it didn't add up for Joseph either. He had his own plans for his family. He, he had his own vision for the future. But God had something else for Joseph to accomplish. Joseph comes to realize that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and he assumes his, his humble and conflicted role as the earthly father of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Joseph seems to be a, a humble guy. I don't see him competing for the limelight. He, he does not seem to be bitter over his reduced role in the life of Jesus. He adapts well to the role of stepfather, and he spends his day, days teaching Jesus a trade, as well as all the other things that will prepare him for life in the real world. He seems to acknowledge the more significant role of, of Mary. And all of that is more difficult than you may realize to the oft-fragile male ego. Before too long, Joseph is out of the picture completely. The last recorded involvement of Joseph is the incident where Jesus gets separated from his parents at age 12. Most postulate Joseph died shortly after at a relatively young age. History remembers him fondly, but not magnanimously. He's not the center of anything. He's, he's not the hero. He's not the star of the show or the lead in the play. Joseph simply assumes his humble place in God's plan and walks it out. There's lots we can learn from that, whether you're a parent or not. Joseph was humble enough to be content with that. Humility, I believe, is seeing yourself as God sees you. Nothing more, but most certainly, nothing less. My hunch is heaven rewards Joseph more than we do. My hunch is his role is acknowledged more in the corridors of heaven than it is in the hallways of the church. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, Philippians says. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That, that just sounds like Joseph to me. If you're parenting for your own satisfaction, if you're parenting for your own glory, Good luck to you. Your efforts and your energies are, are being channeled in the wrong direction. Parenting is for the humble, for people like Joseph. Joseph and, and you as a parent, you've simply been entrusted with the life of a child to raise as your own, although ultimately he belongs to another. In a relatively short amount of time, you'll be out of the picture and your child will be left to carry on. What lessons will they have learned from you? What skills will you have left them with? What kind of imprint will you have made on their lives? Joseph raised Jesus in a spirit of humility. God used Joseph, and he was successful, if not famous. 
Maybe you feel neglected in your role as a parent. Maybe, maybe you're the unnoticed one. Maybe your spouse or, or even your children seem to be the center of attention. Well, just remember this. There's a place for you alongside the most forgotten parent of all. Remember that Jesus will value your work and your heart and your toil will not be in vain. Heaven, you see, heaven rewards the unsung heroes. Heaven sees every unseen task and records every deed done in secret. God will reward parents who see beyond themselves into the future of their children. God will reward the one who sees God's purpose instead of their own purpose. Humble parents like Joseph, parents who are little in their own eyes, are a big deal in the eyes of God. Abraham is parent number three. He was the father of Isaac, and when I think of Abraham, I think of trust. Like Hannah, Abraham and Sarah were without child. For them, it was an extended period of time. The proverbial biological clock was ticking. Abraham was already pushing the envelope age-wise when God's promise came that his heir would not be his trusted servant, but his own flesh and blood. He would bear a son who would bring forth descendants, as many as the stars of the heavens and the sands of the seashore. The promise offered hope to their aging bodies. But 25 years would pass, and still Sarah's arms were empty. Finally, the day came, and in their old age they conceived. Nine months later, Isaac was born. All was well until God asked Abraham to take Isaac to the mountain range of Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice to God. It just didn't make sense. It was all so contrary to the nature of God, and it just didn't fit with the promise of descendants without number. This would be Abraham's supreme test. God was seemingly acting against himself, and yet the instructions were clear. It just didn't make sense. What would Abraham do? Well, Hebrews 11 records his response. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead. Has God ever asked you to do something that makes no sense? Patty Helfenstein shared a story at a connect group recently of a time when God asked her to do something that just didn't add up. She had come to church and had her giving envelope all made out, as was her practice. But there was a second appeal during the giving moment for the mercy fund, I think it was. And in that moment, God spoke to Patty. It wasn't an audible voice. But God impressed upon Patty's heart that she should give to the mercy fund. She looked in her purse, and the problem was she had nothing smaller than a 20. And so she said to God, she said, God, if I give a 20, 
I won't have enough to pay my bills. If I give a 20, I won't have enough to meet my obligations. She felt like God was still leading her in that direction. She said, I'll do it, God, but it doesn't make any sense. She did it. Service ran its course, and as Patty was making her way through the church and and out the door to her car in the parking lot, someone ran up to her and said, Patty, during the service, God spoke to me and said I was supposed to give you this. Handed her an envelope. Patty put it in her pocket. Didn't think much of it until she got home and opened it up, and there was $500 in the envelope. None of it makes sense until you factor God into the equation. And what about the same story without the $500 reward at the end? Sometimes I think God does that stuff just to remind us that he's still in control. He's the one who can fill our pot and he's the one who can meet our every need. The bottom line is trust. And when it comes to parenting, there's a lot of trust involved. The more we try to control it, often the worse it is. We have to do the best we can. And there's certainly a part for us to play, a major part for us to play. Ultimately, however, we're left to entrust our children into the hands of God. That's what Abraham did. He took his only son, Isaac, and he brought him to the mountain to offer as a sacrifice. Abraham trusted God with his son, Isaac. Do you, do you really trust God with your children? Do you really trust God with your children? Here's my list for the day. I've got seven signs we may not trust God with our children. You ready? I'm going to read these without comment. Seven signs we may not trust God with our children. Number one, we want to decide their future. Number two, we endeavor to keep them from any and all adversity. Again, these are signs we may not trust God with our children. Number three, we live to promote our children. Number four, we're more concerned with our children's earthly success than whether or not they encounter God. Number five, We worry excessively. Yeah, baby. Number six. We ask everyone for parenting advice except God. And number seven. We're unable to pray the prayer, whatever it takes. In order to really love your children... In order to really love your children, you have to entrust them to God. Abraham offered up Isaac. Believing God had Isaac's best interests at heart. Believing God would take care of him better than he could. Believing God could even raise him from the dead. Believing that God loved Isaac even more than Abraham loved Isaac. Who do you think Loves your child more, you or God? Who do you, who you believe loves your child most will dictate how you parent. 
Abraham believed God. Romans 4.3 says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God, even with his son Isaac. And our final parenting example from the annals of holy writ is Eunice. Eunice is the mother of Timothy. And Eunice makes me think of legacy. Timothy was a trusted fellow minister and and a mentee of Paul. It means Paul mentored him. Paul saw something in Timothy and he commended his mother, Eunice. And Paul also commended Eunice's mother as well. Her name was Lois. Reminds me of the importance of legacy. We dedicated a baby last week. And part of the dedication ceremony is a prayer of blessing over the baby, for sure. But it's really a a covenant between the parents and God to raise the child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. In 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in you, Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it's also in you. Eunice had a practical faith that she passed on to her son. She had apparently seen it lived out in her mother before her. That's an amazing and powerful legacy. I worked in youth ministry with young people for about 15 years, and I would much rather deal with a, with a kid from a totally secular, non-God-fearing home than a student who comes from a home where the parents claim to be a Christian, but they live a different way. That's a recipe for confusion in a child. Our, our faith as parents must be genuine. And that's exactly what the word unfeigned means from 1 Timothy 1.5. We must have an unfeigned faith. Our faith must make sense. Young people can't believe in their hearts what doesn't make sense in their mind. Cults are irrational and illogical. Christianity should be coherent and sensical. Am I right, college students? Am I right, college students? Our faith must be livable. It isn't about being perfect, but it is about being faithful. If we are living a lie, hear me now. If we're living a lie, that's what we will pass on to our children. They'll go to church and they'll think everyone else is living the same lie they're watching their parents live out at home. Your faith does not have to be perfect, but it must be genuine. The Los Angeles Raiders once had a quarterback by the name of Todd Marinovich. Todd was groomed from birth by his father to be an NFL quarterback. The father, Marv was his name, had played college football at USC, and he wanted, for reasons buried deep within his own inadequacies, to raise his son to be the athlete that he couldn't be. That was the legacy he endeavored to pass on. Even as an infant, 
Marv was grooming Todd to play football. He stretched his tiny hamstrings when he was just a month old and had him lifting medicine balls before he could walk. Marv restricted his diet. No sugar, no McDonald's. What? (laughs) Anything that could detract from the perfect environment was forbidden. There were trainers and sports psychologists and biochemists who Marv consulted with and even hired to help groom Todd into what Marv valued and saw as important. Todd went on to be an All-American in high school, an All-Pac-10 quarterback at USC, and a first-round draft pick of the Los Angeles Raiders in 1991, taking nine spots before some guy, taking nine spots before some guy named Brett Favre, by the way. Todd signed a $2.25 million contract, started only eight games in an abbreviated career before plunging into the depths of drug addiction. His story played out like the typical addict from there, Lots of financial struggles, legal issues, family problems. The legacy his dad desperately wanted never came to pass. The drive to want our children to succeed is wired into us as parents. But if we assume the role of God, we may set up our children for failure. We're to do God's work, not God's job. Our children need direction on how to succeed in life, and what we impart to them will be our legacy. Hopefully, the legacy will be about serving God. But remember this, you will leave a legacy. Either way, one way or another, you will leave a legacy. Todd Marinovich's dad left a legacy. And Eunice and Lois, they left legacies too. The question is, what kind of legacy will you leave? Lois lived her faith. Eunice believed the life her mother lived was worth living herself. And she lived her faith in such a way that Timothy went on to become an influential man of God who Paul wrote two letters to that eventually became books of the Bible. As parents, we must pray for that same transmittable, infectious, genuine, unfeigned faith that will impact our children as they grow. That's that's how you leave a legacy. Four examples of good parenting from the Bible. I'm sure you can find others. The job description of parenting could be summed up roots to grow and wings to fly. Ask yourself, how does your parenting empower your children? How does your parenting empower your children? Not just to win the spelling bee or make the traveling team, but how do you equip them to live for God? It's the only legacy that matters when it's all said and done. Four parenting examples. Hannah makes me think of sacrifice. Joseph, humility. Abraham, trust. And Eunice, legacy. 
And somehow, all of that feels doable. I can let go like Hannah. I can come to the understanding like Joseph that, that the child I raise is really not my own. He's been entrusted to me for a short time. And like Abraham, I can believe God knows what he's doing, even when it doesn't make sense. And I can leave a legacy of genuine, if not perfect, faith, like Eunice. I can do that. And so can you. If you have a child that's under 18, would you stand? I want to pray with you. Think of the influence that's present in this room to mold and shape young lives, many with multiple children under 18. It's a difficult task, and sometimes it feels like you're losing ground by the day. But think big picture. I challenge you to think big picture. Don't think in terms of, of today. Sometimes you lose the battle. But we're more concerned about winning the war. Unfeigned faith. Genuine faith. And maybe if we, if we got to the place where we could let go of our children, maybe some of our frustration would go with it we realized ultimately it's not my child. It's God's child. Maybe some of the burdens we're carrying we would discover we don't have to carry. The most noble calling of all is parenting. And some of you have less than ideal situations, less than perfect situations. Hey, Joseph's home was dysfunction. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these folks. They're in the midst of it. They're in the throes of it. Lord, I pray you would empower them to be all that they can be. I pray that you would raise them up with confidence and assurance that, that they don't have to be perfect. They just have to be genuine. Lord, I pray for their children. I pray that you would protect them from the evil of the world. We command the evil one to take his hands off of our children in the name of Jesus. Satan, you have no authority over these children. Holy Spirit, have your way in the lives from the tiniest of infants to even our adult children. Lord, we give them to you. We bring them to the temple like Hannah. We dedicate them to the work of the Lord in the temple. We offer them up as a sacrifice like Abraham. Oh God, take our children. Have your way. Lord, I pray you'd bless our children. Bless the parents as they raise them. Lord, for the one that's here 
this morning and they don't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that, that they would recognize that ultimately they have a parent, they have a Father in heaven who loves them more than anyone on this earth ever could or ever would. And if they will but surrender themselves to you, they will experience family like they've never experienced it before. So Lord, for that one, I pray this prayer. I pray that they would confess their sins. I pray that they would stop trying to live life their own way and that they would surrender it to you. That they would tell someone of their decision today and that they'd begin to read their Bible every day and they'll discover what we've discovered, that God will never let you down. Lord, I thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we close with the final song.